Welcome to the Love Is Coming podcast, the must-listen show for single women struggling to attain or sustain a romantic relationship. I'm your host, Persia Lawson, author, speaker, and according to the Times Magazine, one of the UK's most successful love coaches. Before that, I was a serial cheat and obsessive love addict, but I'm now a bride-to-be and in the best relationship of my life. So, if you're trying to do the work on your love life, you are definitely in the right place. But here on the Love Is Coming podcast, we serve your education with a side of entertainment. Expect serious stuff talked about not so seriously, solo Agnion episodes with yours truly, and guest episodes showcasing some of the best in the biz in ways you've never seen them before. So, got a dating dilemma? Swiping right but haven't yet found Mr. Right? then let's get raw, real, and a little bit inappropriate because love is coming for you, baby, in more ways than one. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Love Is Coming podcast. I am super excited to have Massimo Stock... I hadn't actually asked you if how to pronounce them, your middle name. I don't know if is it your middle name or is it your... First, is, it your is it a surname? Stocky. It's my, fa- it's my father's surname, Stocky, and my mom's is Fontana. So Stocky? Stocky Fontana, Massimo Stocky Fontana. Sorry that that was a little bit shambolic at the beginning. So Massimo is a sex therapist and sex coach. So we are really, really lucky to have him on today. Um, It is actually very rare. I was saying this to Massimo before we press record. Um, It's very rare that I get to talk to a man who is uh, who has as much experience as Massimo does about all things as they relate to sex love, dating, and relationships. So Massimo, I'm really grateful that you have been so generous with your time to come on and talk to me today. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. So before we get started, this is, uh, I like to always start the Love Is Coming podcast with a little game, um, which then opens up to some, hopefully, some very interesting discussions. So it, this beginning of this, the first segment of this podcast is called 60 Seconds Summary. And in it, I would love to hear in just 60 seconds, I'll give you a little um, header uh, warning, sorry, at 30 seconds. I would love to know how you got into this work in the first place, but just in 60 seconds. So kind of the highlights, um, the most important bits. Do you think you're able to do that, Massimo? I think I can. Um, I was studying psychology in South Africa and I was actually doing a modeling show for FHM. And at the end of, at the, I don't see myself as a model, but anyway, um, at the end of the, the show, I was actually introduced to a sex therapist and I needed a clinical placement. And he put me in touch with his, uh, professor who became my professor and I started training under her. So in a nutshell, I'd probably say that I actually just fell into it. You've still got 31 seconds left. That was, that was very succinct. The, 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 beauty is, the, the beauty is is that I actually wanted to be a gynecologist when I was younger, um, but went in a completely different direction. And I think, I think sexuality for me is something that is so important. And um, I think some of these things that we fall into are really destiny. And this was something that, that spoke to me. It was, it was destiny for me. Mm, I to- I, do you know what I totally I totally relate you know we were kind of talking about how we got into this a little bit um at the beginning uh before we hit record and you know for me I was sharing that I I got into this work because um well my parents 
struggle with a drug addiction. And as a result, um, as I got a little bit older, the way that I coped with that was was really through addiction to boys and attention. Um, I, it's weird because whilst I have attended um, many uh, and worked the program of Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, and whilst I slept around and cheated and all of that behavior, I didn't, I still didn't really identify as a sex addict um, because it wasn't ever the sex that I was that bothered by. It was, I, I wanted to feel loved and I wanted the attention. And I feel like um, this is not something that is really discussed all that much, um, particularly sex addiction in women. I remember when I first went to my sex, first sex and love addiction meeting, it was me and two men who were just talking about their addiction to porn. And it was, you know, it was, it was a really horrible experience. But I'm seeing this more and more with my clients, you know, um, this habit, not habit so much, but the behavior of, of women um, who are not feeling good about themselves, not feeling empowered, and act out really, really self-destructively in their love life. So before we go any further, I, I'd love it if you could just speak into that a little bit. I'm interested in your thoughts or your experience around that. It's addiction for me is always something that's quite interesting because it's it's about filling a void, um, and we haven't yet learned how to self soothe enough um, and actually see that we have a hand that can soothe all of these different things. So what happens is that you start looking outward and especially in, in love addiction and, you know, sex addiction, it's something that's so normalized, especially sort of living in London where, where it's very, very easily accessible. You know, you, you download an app that's swiping left and right. By lunchtime, you have five matches. By that evening, you have two dates. It's, it's really, really, really easy. And I think this feeds into... I would probably say a very negative self-image because it moves away from working on oneself and then actually respecting oneself enough to choose a partner that is actually good for us mm -hmm. versus I'll be curious to see what's out there and see what I can connect with and see what life is going to give me. Um, and then you get caught into this sort of perpetual cycle of, you know, you date one, it's the sex is good. You date another, the sex is good. The and and basically goes down the line. Eventually, you you're caught in the cycle that you can't get out of. It just becomes very very normalized. Um, and then the worst thing is is that you also have friends that are doing the same thing, and they are compounding that sort of belief system that this is normal. Mm -hmm. um, whereas you're moving further and further away from actually respecting yourself in terms of what you really do need and deserve. Mm. Yeah, I think when I was going through the worst of it i mean i had i was completely addicted to cheating for a long time i just i couldn't get my head it's so weird now when i talk about this because it feels like another lifetime i just you know at my worst i was working in a strip club i wasn't even stripping but i was working as a hostess i got sexually assaulted although it took me years to like even real till relatively recently to actually say that's what happened because i thought well i put myself in that situation i was working there I was doing all the cocaine. Like I was, you know, I, I was complicit. Um, even though this particular situation, I like was not at all. I wouldn't have. Ugh, it was awful. Um, but you know, for me, this is this is why I'm so. It actually always makes me emotional talking about this because I have seen. Uh, I can. I've seen where this can take you. And honestly, to God, Massimo, if I hadn't 
got into recovery and I hadn't got therapy and and got help in my mid-20s, I don't think I would be here today because I was increasingly getting sucked into such unhealthy, such destructive um, dynamics with quite dangerous men at times. Um, You know, I lived all over the world. I traveled. It all looked quite glamorous, but the reality was a a lot of it wasn't. And I was just so, I was so, so lost. And there's something, you know, we are so, and I would love to hear like your thoughts on this, but I, you know, I was an actress, so I was completely um, sucked into the lie that we see in the media so much about romance and drama and chaos and excitement. And I, you know, I, it was the addiction to the drama for me. And is that something you see in your practice? all the time i mean this is in particular with 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 women um ironically that it's mm. in in specific women who haven't reached that point of self-actualization and, and realizing their worth and then they're constantly in the cycle of chasing men to to acknowledge them and actually make them feel like they exist um and th- the problem with this is that they have to get to a point where Quite literally, this guy has to turn around to them and say to them, I want nothing to do with you before they're actually able to move away from something like that. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's just it's, it's very scary where where we start putting ourselves in difficult situations that, you know, and, and you, you, you basically take that on board as though it was your, your choice. You assume full responsibility for something like that. But me as a man, I hear that as, hey, hold on a second. In part, it was your responsibility. But in part, I think it's the other man's responsibility too, because that's just not okay. Any anything like that is not okay. You know, you you can be experimenting, and and you know, we have the luxury of experimenting with our sexuality and going out and exploring and doing all these wonderful things. Um, but but respect and care for for human beings needs to be a a, a theme that everyone adopts. Yeah, it's 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 not it's not good enough that that we do these things to other people, and I think this this is this is something when when I work with men, it's particularly working on the sort of concept of of being conscious, um, being being awake to how every single one of your choices impacts somebody else, mm. and you know, you're living in a major city, what's the one thing that people avoid is responsibility. Oh my God. So true. It's so ironic, isn't it? When you think of like the big careers and the amount of money that's in a big city like London. And so there is a lot of responsibility, but I feel like, in fact, we were talking about, I've just recently come out as a work addict and that's something I'm now in recovery for. Um, and I mean, I, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of myself and, and it's, it's interesting because that just as a side note, that one's a hard one because society glorifies it and I've glorified it and been like worn it as a badge whereas the other ones are more like gotta hide that gotta hide that um but maybe that's there's something in there of that you know being so responsible and working so hard it's like need to let off steam and that's why you see all you know a lot of the guys in the city would go out on the weekend and get well even in the week sometimes uh, which I never understood because they had to get up crack of dawn but just like going completely crazy and I was in those clubs like on a Monday and a Tuesday back in the day, right alongside them going completely mental. Um, and so I, I think it's an interesting point you talk about there about responsibility. Now, what I teach the women who work with me is you need to take responsibility for how you are showing up because when you do that, then 
and you don't, you know, so much of the time women do not communicate that is not acceptable to me. This is my standard. This is my boundary. This is how I desire to be treated because they're so terrified that if they do, the man will reject them. And what I see so much of the time with men is that they don't, they are terrified to say to the woman what you said a, a few moments ago, you know, basically, this is not going to happen with us. I'm not interested in you. Um, there, you know, it's the hot and cold behavior. And, and this is a question I know I get all the time from the women in my program. Why do men blow hot and cold? Why can't they just be clear? Why do they ghost? It's, I think you've hit it on the head there. I think it's, it's, it's down to, ironically, the boundary of the woman. Because if, if I explain it from a position of how I met my partner, as an example, um, I came to visit my best friend in Spain. Uh, we went out the one evening. It was a year of celibacy for me. And the sort of internal reflection for myself was just before we went out was, you know what? I'm so happy being alone. I'm, I'm super happy being, being with myself. And I'd reached a point of, of really, really, really surrendering to who I was. I'd done all the work. Um, go out. Ironically, this girl comes up to my friend and myself and she looks at me and she says to me, um, my friend is just recently divorced. Would you like to sleep with her this evening? Interesting and, thing to sleep with. <laughs> and, and, I, and I kind of looked at this girl and I said to her, you know, with all due respect, thank you very much for the offer, but no, um, it's just not my thing. And anyway, so she chatted to us a little bit longer and then she went off. And I saw this girl walking in with a group of four of her friends. And strategic, well, I say strategically, I put my jacket on one of the speakers. So that was the only place I could find. And I looked at her, made eyes. There was something going on there. Just couldn't keep my eyes off of her. And Can I just check? Is this the divorced woman or is this a different woman? No, this is a completely different woman. Okay, okay. Divorced, just divorced, 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 divorced woman, I'm pretty, pretty sure got laid that evening, but it wasn't by me. <laughs> um, and I looked at this girl and I sort of gestured to call her over. And so I kind of did it with a finger like that to call her over. And the look of shock on her face was almost like, like disgust. And she said, no, 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 hold on a second. You come here. Mm. I saw that as an invitation, which was great. I went there and uh, I introduced myself. Couldn't speak a word of Spanish at that point. And that was it three years later. Wow. And here you are living in Spain in lockdown with her. Indeed. And I, I, I mean, the reason why I bring that up is because there, there was such a sense of respect that she carried within herself. Yeah. I, knew, I knew from the minute speaking with her, there was going to be no kissing that evening. I knew from the minute I saw her, there was no touching or breaking that sort of physical contact other than the dance that we just had. Mm -hmm. um, and what was interesting was that within me, I just wanted to introduce it to my family. That was it. Okay. I, that is the best segue into this topic. This topic is how to seduce a man, a male sexologist perspective. But, and that sounds quite, you know, a bit like surface level, but actually I think it's a lot deeper because what you talked about there is so similar to the experience I had when I met Joe. I met him at a festival in a rave in the middle of a valley, um, basically turned around thousands of people and there and then we just ended up kissing and then it was that thing of like is this a kiss and then we're going to lose each other and, and we we didn't and then we 
we had a great night. He texted me the next day um, and I replied and didn't get a message back. Long story short, it turns out that he hadn't got my message because of the signal. But we bumped into each other again that night amid thousands and thousands of people in this big festival. It was literally like the universe brought us back together. We went on to, I mean, honestly, best weekend of my entire life. We didn't have sex. Um, I didn't even, uh, we we fell asleep by a campfire actually on the Saturday night, but with like loads of other people around it because we were listening to this weird woman spouting off Shakespeare. (laughs) But um, the next, on the Monday, it was pouring with rain and I was absolutely soaking. And he basically said, oh, you know, where are you going back to? I said, London. He said, oh yeah, I mean, do you need a lift? He didn't even live in London anymore because he was about to go traveling. But long story short, we en- he, we ended up, he said, oh, do you want um, do you want to shower and grab some food? My cousins are at um, places around the corner. And in my head, I, I just, I didn't really think much about it, but we went and it was his auntie and uncles, long story short, ended up staying there with his aunt and uncle. I'd met this guy three days ago. He just wanted me to meet his family. It was like, it was like he. It's like something just dropped in. He had turned twenty-seven the day before. This was not. He was a young guy. He'd been single for a few years. He had no interest in. He was like where you were. And I think this is a really important thing with men in particular. I think it's true with women as well. But I think men realize this about themselves in a way that women don't. Men know when they're not ready. So they might be available for sex, but they're not available for a relationship. And he just, it was just like, he saw me and it was like, yep. And it was really simple and easy. And so I always say to women, it's like, you you cannot make a man fall in love with you. You cannot make him want to do all those things. What are your thoughts on this? Um, speaking from, from the readiness of a man, that, that position, I think, I think for me, there, there was always the, the romanticized side of me that wanted to be in relationship, wanted to have depth, wanted to have all these wonderful things. But career, other priorities, all these things took, took precedence over something like that. So it's like if I'm very honest with myself, the, the 20% that I was actually giving to, to my ex-partners, yes, maybe in their mind they saw it as 100% and they were experiencing loveliness on that path. But I knew deep down inside that I wasn't giving 100, percent and and I think I think this is this is something that that I flag up in in most of the women that I work with. They're, they're accepting something that they know deep down inside that isn't enough. And and I and I and I always kind of ask someone that question, you know, but you know, you you're you're accepting something that you know deep down is not enough. Why are you doing this? And there's a a sort of phrase that I always like to use within myself is you attract where you are in life. Yes. And, and, and this for me is like when I was doing all the work on myself, I I guess it's, it's kind of looking at it as the scales of consciousness. So you're trying to sort of really elevate yourself up to a particular point of at least being at peace with yourself. And I can see my relationship meeting as being coincidence, but then I also knew that, I was at absolute peace with myself. And ironically, when I met her, she was in exactly the same position. Yeah. So there, there is, there is a, a natural synchronicity that does happen in these kind of situations. And it happens with, I could probably say, with all of the lady clients that I've worked with, where they have been fixated on trying to find a partner. They go through this process of surrender and actually start working on themselves. And, and give or take just a couple of months, and bam, yes. they've met someone. Yeah. It's so true. It's unbelievable how fast it can happen. But I always say to my clients when they come to work with me, I'm like, 
You know, it's gonna it's gonna happen when you're ready. So you said about um, you attract where you are, and I say water seeks its own level. And you know, Dr. Wayne died. All of these things, you know, are great. He said, um, you don't attract who you want; you attract who you are. So let's say you're a super jealous person, super insecure, you will attract someone who brings out those qualities in you. Whereas if you focus on my my first book uh, that I wrote with a friend called The Inner Fix, the message of that book is focus on the insides and the outsides take care of themselves because we live in a culture that, you know, capitalist culture is all about focus on the outsides. That's going to change how you feel. That's how you make money, you know, essentially. That's how um, that's how the economy runs, fixating on the outside. And I'm sure you've experienced it. But so many times I would get the boyfriend and I'd feel excited and good about it for like such a short period of time before then I found a new problem to fixate on. There's always going to be something to fixate on. But if we can make our priority, our relationship with ourself, everything else really does fall into place. You know, as I shared earlier, I'm now working on the work addiction stuff. Work addiction is a tricky one because it always is convincing you just do that bit more and, and, and we're sold the thing of that's what you need to do to be successful, hustle and grind and all of that. And actually, I'm like, I my job is to focus on my relationship with myself around work, which I know I'm like, you know what, it's not that healthy. But because I've done a decade of work, such deep work on myself up to this point, I, I'm getting it so quickly. It's like the minute I made that commitment to myself, right, we are we we are going to work addict workaholics meeting work i can't even say it workaholics anonymous meetings and doing all the work around that it's unbelievable how quickly it drops in so i will have clients who there's the difference between clients who come to me having done a lot of work on themselves mm-hmm. but they haven't they haven't focused it specifically around either attracting that partner or their love life. But those clients tend to, they get it much quicker than clients who've never done anything like I was at the beginning. And you come to this work and it, it's its not, you're not going to attract your soulmate in like two weeks because you're not ready to. Absolutely. I, I think, I think something that I, that I love to challenge people on is, you know, you, you have an abundance of information out there. I guarantee you that most of these people haven't actually picked up a book in terms of self-reflectiveness. Mm-hmm. And actually being able to look at oneself, you know, you pick up, you, you Google it, go, go on Amazon, choose a workbook on self-esteem, anxiety, whatever it is. There's going to be something that comes up. Once again, the question is, what is the defensiveness about? And, and that's always the first sign for me, because whatever you're trying to work through in your own life, if there's defensiveness, it's something that you have to grow through. Mm-hmm. And most people don't realize that. They just go, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try and find someone that fits me rather than me actually molding myself into someone who can actually be relational with anybody mm-hmm. and like like we said in the beginning I, I always see that the relationship is a cherry on the top it's, yes. it's not it's not the major focus and you know when you're in a great position and you've designed yourself to be this amazing cake why not find that partner that is going to be the cherry on the top it's so, do you know what? I've just remembered. It's so nuts that you say that because I've actually got a, a chapter in my book called Cherry. And it's literally what you just said. It's about that. And the funniest thing is, right, just this circling back to like feeling like, you know, you were saying about your career that it was sort of fated, as it, which is how I feel. I was always an actress and until that all fell to shit, um, which I'm now so grateful about. But 
my friend found this like old diary like journal of hers from when we were 16 and uh like a few years ago and in it she'd written like my new best friend Persia she says that the man in your life should always just be the cherry on top and like I don't even know I must have read it somewhere because I was like that is not how I was living my life until my mid-20s but obviously there was something there was something in there and probably because by that point my parents were out of rehab and so the the sort of my my mid teenage years um i remember particularly was we had a lot of self help books my mum was going off to therapy a lot like that i was it, i was kind of part of that world but i think i needed to do the rebellious thing and like go off and do my my own you know like reject it um gone off on a total tangent there but i well, oh. you, you you had to feel your shadow you had to experience it yes that's exactly it. And I, if I hadn't gone to those depths, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now and feeling the, the inspiration and, and the, the power and, and the resonance with it. I would love to know, you know, what is your big, what do you feel like your mission is? Like what, what for you is really exciting? Like why did you want to do this work? What is the transformation about for you? Uh, look, I, I work in two ways. I mean, on the one side is the psychological work. So that's a lot of diagnosis and working with, with very severe disorders, borderline personality disorder, OCD, eating disorders, things like that. But I, I would probably say that a huge passion of mine is the sex and sex therapy side because sexuality for me is this feeling of absolute liberation and freedom. Um, and it's always been my sort of refuge when things have been difficult. Um, so that's always been my sort of playground within my fantasy and who I've become and, and especially being able to express that, that was really where I felt that freedom. And something that I do focus a lot on is, is men. And I don't think that there's enough in place to actually support men to become more conscious. Uh, to, and, and, you know, you can really open up that door to say, okay, become a conscious lover, become a conscious partner, become a conscious just in, in your ability to, to navigate the relationship. Um, and I think, I guess the desperation in me when, when I was growing up was to have that, that male role model that'll go, you know what, this is what you need to do. I never found it. I was very lucky in life that it sort of, came at various points men did come through through my life at various points and sort of give me these little snippets of information um but i was desperate to go to therapy and then eventually when i when i started studying psychology i was in therapy for six years um once again i had a choice and said to myself okay is this going to just be part of my course and i just talk about the sunshine and rainbows or is this actually going to be something that i need to do the work on mm -hmm. And that's where I did the work. I mean, I had three therapists. The last one obliterated me because that was the first question I actually asked. I said to her, I want you to challenge me and all of my bullshit. Mm. And she, she did that. Mm -hmm. um, I just think people going into this, in, you know, into this, into this work and, and, you know, self-reflectiveness and things like that, there's, there's a massive fear response uh, of, of the unknown. And I think it, that's, that's very sad because, there are amazing professionals out there that, mm. that, you know, will help you on this journey, that there's nothing to do with shame or guilt or any of these other feelings, but you need to do the work. Yeah, no one can do it for you. That's what I always say to my clients. 
I can't do it for you. I can, I can support you. I'm here for you. Um, so one thing that I get asked all the time by my clients, so they, you know, they're doing the work or they've, they've finished the program and they go, where are all the men doing the work? Why are they not here? Like, what's it going on? Like, why am I busting my balls and working so hard? And, you know, for what they're seeing still, um, is is that there are not men who are doing nowhere near the same number of men who are taking it as seriously at all or even aware that they have to do this work what's that about but I, but I think there's something quite interesting in the statement as well you know if someone says that statement to me um you know i've done all the work there's still a little bit of an ego response there that it's like, well, hold on a second. What what are you doing this for? Are you doing this for to get the guy or are yes. you actually doing this for yes. yourself 110%? Um, and, and also an additional answer to that is that most of the guys that are doing the work are not going to be in the same places that you're looking for them as you were before. They They potentially won't be in the club. I wasn't in the clubs anymore. I wasn't going out the most that i was doing was going from my business to grab a coffee or get something to eat and go back to work again mm -hmm. it's i think you know being that the title is about seduction as well we have to also learn to become opportunists mm -hmm. because when you are grabbing the coffee and you do see the guy staring at you and he doesn't make the move are you bold enough to actually make that move mm. bring that presence to the table and 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 this is this is where i think the second you are hyper aware of your surroundings you'll see the men that are there mm. okay because so i definitely there. want to dig into that more because i think and i and i would even say this for myself it's like oh no it's you know the man to make the move but i you know as i believe that you know the so when i've interviewed men before it's been one of the things that is in common all the time is that a man's one of a man's biggest fear is being rejected slash hum humiliated by a woman and and all of them, like all of us have been rejected at some point, but typical thing of where you're in the club with your mates, guy comes over to you, hits on you and, you know, and I've done it in front of friends, been like, oh God, no, like, like, you know, like years ago, but, but I've never thought about how humiliating that would be because my head's going, oh, you creep. But I'm like, it's just because I wasn't attracted to him. If he was super hot and charming, I would have com re responded completely differently. So I believe that it is important to make it, if you are interested in a guy, say you're, you know, at a coffee shop. This is so uncomfortable, by the way, for British people. <laughs> We're like, what? Well, this isn't America. We couldn't possibly, you know, make eye contact in a coffee shop and like get each other's number. Um, but, you know, I would say, make sure if you like the guy, you, you give him a little smile. But so you're, you're making it clear you're interested and there's an invitation there. But do you think that it's okay to go further and the woman to actually really initiate contact? 100%. 100%. I, I just think, you know, once again, it's like, you know, you live in a city like London, you cross paths with someone, the likelihood of you seeing them again is slim to none. Yeah. And, and that's kind of my logic when it comes to these things that it's, okay, is this going to be another missed opportunity in my life or am I actually going to put my ego aside and potential shameful feelings and all these different things yeah. and actually go for it. Um, because, you know, it's like, if you think about that, um, going to work in the morning, you get into the train jam packed, you, you're claustrophobic within yourself. You're very in yourself. Unless you are one of those very few people on the train trying to make eye contact with someone, 
you're oblivious to everything. Yeah. And and this is the thing that I think we also need to step out of is tap on the shoulder. Hey, you know what? There's something about you. I would love to go meet you for coffee. Um, it doesn't have to be about the date going for a drink. I think that was a phrase that I eliminated out of out of my vocabulary is let's go for a drink. No, no, no. Let's go for a coffee, which is 30 minutes. If there's something that you and I can get on with, that's one story that can lead to a drink or a dinner. A hundred percent. But it, it's it's got to be quick and sporadic. And and look, I think you get a, a general sense of someone pretty quickly. And I, and I think that's that's the nice thing about being bold like that. Yeah, I, I actually agree, especially in those sort of situations. Like, what have you got to lose? You might feel like, super hot and flushed and embarrassed but you're not going to see this person again unless fate brings you back together <laughs> um but it, those it will go quickly you know and I, I agree I always say to my clients and this comes from having not done that for so long don't go for an alcoholic like ideally like meet in you know brunch lunch whatever we're, we're gonna have to kind of obviously it's COVID at the moment but um you know go for don't if you go out at even in the evening it's really unless you're you're sober like it's so easy just to fall into the temptation of like, oh, sod it, let's have a drink. It is so easy to to think you fancy someone if you've had a few glasses of wine. And even if there's no chemistry, like you can you can kid yourself that you're having a great time with loads of people. And I agree. I'm like, go on a connection date that is sober and and just see just see how that goes. And um and then, you know, allow it to develop organically. But while while I've mentioned COVID, um, it's hard not to Obviously, a lot of people are doing um, online dating at the moment and virtual dates. And I actually think that's the best thing to come out of COVID because you don't have to waste an entire evening with someone that's not right fit. You can jump on a quick coffee virtual date and see how that goes first. It's, it's not only that. And I'm, I'm thinking about it from, from a woman's perspective here. You've, you've increased your safety, personal safety yes. to 100%. Yes. And... It's literally at a click of a button, you can end the conversation and you don't have to have that awkwardness there or the sense of obligation to put yourself in something that you actually don't want to if you can't say no. And I think that's that's something very, very helpful. And to be honest, I think it's something that should actually be carried on long, long past the COVID story. A hundred percent. And it saves time. I mean, what just it's win-win all over. And it's funny because, um, okay, so here's a question that women ask. What are your thoughts when a man says, oh, no, I'm un- I don't want to do a video call. I'm uncomfortable or I don't want to have a phone call. Because there's a quite a lot of guys who say that. And I just think, number one, how are you OK with us meeting in person? Which for me, surely that takes more guts. Um, and secondly, I'm like, well, how can you ever have a relationship with someone? Well, for me, I'm a big phone talker. Like, it's important to me. And if and I have dated guys who never wanted to talk on the phone, and it just didn't work. It just didn't work because, you know, the communication wasn't a good fit. Is that something you've seen with men? And do you what do you think that's about? I think a lot of men, a lot of men do that, and a lot of men ghost, and a lot of men use that to their advantage. Um, it's it's non-committal, and non-committal can also be something quite alluring. And I think if we get baited into that, you're setting yourself up for a continuous non-committal kind of relationship. And so what's the solution from the woman's side? Um, from the get-go, I think, look, if you can, 
if he can justify it from a point of view of going, look, I'm I'm a little bit shy and it's something that I'd like to work towards, you know, let's start with texting and let's build from that. Um, that kind of makes sense. But realistically, you've got no excuse. If you're dating, you're wanting to connect. You want to hear the person's voice. You want to see what that resonance is like. Um, I, I just don't think it's a good enough, a good enough excuse. Um, for me personally, if it was advice, and I don't believe everyone takes advice, move on to the next one. You, yeah. you, you, fun, you, you fundamentally need a man who is going to be, you know, showing you that he wants you. Not, not. It's just an afterthought. Mm. Well, on that note, what do you think? You know, when a guy starts blowing hot and cold or ghosting, uh, often us women we wanna we want to look in messages for subtext. We wanna, we wanna like find a you way to use him. Yeah. Does it mean when a man starts doing that and your guts as a woman starts being like, oh, you know, does that mean the guy's not interested? I'll give you I'll give you a different way of looking at it. So if you're looking at sort of masculine and feminine energies, when you meet someone, you've met them probably in their default masculine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what usually happens is that when you start feeling a man pulling away, what's the first thing that you start doing? You start overcompensating. You start mm-hmm. taking a step towards. And that in itself should be the first alarm bell. Because if you're sort of steadfast in in how you are and you're comfortable within yourself and you're not chasing, what's the responsiveness on his side? Does he come back? Does he keep on playing that game? Does he not call back? I mean, this this is this is amazing amounts of information. And and I mean, if I'm looking at something like that, I'm just going, look. If I'm interested in someone, I'm going to be messaging them 50 times a day. Mm. Yeah, you know, this this is this is the thing. It's it's like you know, if you're wanting seduction and you're wanting to be romanced and things like that, do the fucking work. Excuse the language. Yeah, but but this is this should be an expectation because if you're looking at let's say how how much work women are doing nowadays on themselves, and you know you're also assuming a lot of the masculinity because men aren't stepping up to the plate to have that balance between you both. Mm-hmm. Um. It's it's just it's you should be comfortable in yourself enough and and you see something like that if a guy's not stepping up to the plate and actually wanting to do the work and show you who he is and yes there is the expectation that he should be showing his vulnerability um, not saying that he should be crying his eyes out every two minutes but there, there, there should be some depth to him at least mm-hmm. it's a case of him working on himself to try and show something like that mm-hmm. um, but. I just don't understand why people have to sell themselves short. Mm. Well, I think it's, you know, a pattern I see so much and I experienced it myself. It's like settling for crumbs, you know, because you feel so crap about yourself that you will just take any little sliver of attention some guy will throw your way. And of course, it's never enough because until you really love yourself wholeheartedly and respect yourself wholeheartedly, whatever anyone gives you, it will never be enough. And, you know, Self-love, I think it gets bandied around a lot now and it can sort of lose all meaning. I think it's an ever-evolving journey. You never arrive and you're like, oh, well, I've done it. I I love myself, the end. I am someone who, I, you know, when it comes to romance, I by the time I attracted Joe, I knew my worth. I knew my boundaries had done all of that work. The next amount of work 
with self kind of in relation to self-love was how hard I found committing um, because I wasn't using my old addiction of cheating to kind of avoid love because love was so terrifying for me and I didn't understand it because of what I'd grown up with. And I I always say this to clients, it's like, you know, we all had shit in our childhood to a lesser or greater extent. If it wasn't your family, maybe you were bullied. Uh, Maybe you had what women know, like your best friend who stabs you in the back and it's like hot, cold, hot, cold. And even though it's not a romantic relationship, it gets you used to, you know, you associate love as being unreliable, as you can't trust it. So that's going to carry out into your romantic life as well. Um, that, that, gets con- that gets conditioned. And and I think the, the question that most people should ask themselves is how do you out-condition all of this, this, this behavior and this thinking pattern? Um, and this sort of comes back to this idea of self-image because you know if you're going to map it out and you actually quite strictly write it down what is the self-image that you want to carry within yourself is it confidence is it um a sense of freedom is it x y and z it doesn't matter what it is um what are you doing about it number one to actually find the experiential situation to match that thinking process because it's going to be counter counterproductive if you create this new persona this new self-image for yourself and are still going back to the past and all past behaviors and thinking. Mm-hmm. You're still reinforcing that that way of that that way of how you were in the past. Mm-hmm. So you know it's it's there's the practical side, but then there's also very much the experiential side. And one thing that I think a lot of people aren't used to now is healthy. Yeah. Everything is so polarized. It's you know you think about stimulus as an example, and I mean, don't take me wrong. I lo- I loved dating. Dating, I, th- I think dating was probably the most exciting part, even after getting to know the person. It was that immediate charge of chemistry that's there, and you're testing and you're pulling and you're playing, and it's a beautiful dance that you, that you create with that person. Um, and it it. it but then, you know, at the back of my mind, who I was at that particular point wasn't someone that I that that I could have brought to the table 110 percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was only through reflection that that I realized that with every as a man, with every choice that I was making, and this doesn't even come to the sex the sex side, um, with every choice that I was making was going to impact these women in my life. And mm-hmm. this is where I don't think a lot of men understand the responsibility they have with their choices. Mm. And I think such a significant, it, it feels like we can't have this conversation without talking about the big difference between men and women um, when it comes to particularly 30s, um, 30s and early 40s um, is that women, clock. biological clock, and even women like me who are, you know, so sort of like, ah, you know, I've, I've had so many fears around the idea of having kids, but there is, again, I'm, I get emotional when I talk about it, but there is something in me that goes, I, I think I'm meant, that is meant for me. Um, and I've still got a lot of work. And I think this work addiction stuff is a big part of it because guaranteed that is something I will run away into. Like, and I have done because it's, you know, did so much work on the love addiction stuff and feel really in a good place with that. And then something else will pop up, you know, that's kind of how things go. But um, I digress. So women, so many women come to me in their 30s or even, you know, early 40s and like I'm desperate for a child and 
it's so hard because they're bringing that energy to the dates because of course, you know, but they're trying to conceal it because they don't want to look desperate and they don't want the guy to stress out. And of course, men, you know, Mick Jagger's having kids in his bloody seventies. And I think this is where, you know, it's, it's, I mean, how do you navigate this? As a starting point, it's unfair. Um, And I think, I think you're also pointing out a very, very real situation that I think, many women are going to have to confront and that's, can I do this alone? Mm. Um, the, the, the lay of the land has changed a lot. It's like, you know, this is something that I question for myself. You know, do I want kids? Don't I want kids? My partner's in exactly the same position. Do I want kids? Don't I want kids? Yeah. Um, if I, I think you can get this out of the way pretty quickly as well, that. If you are wanting kids and something I always suggest to people is that from day one, you need to bring up expectations, but be bold with your expectations. It's actually saying, look, this is what I'm expecting from a relationship. This is what I'm looking for. I'm expecting kids. Um, so there's no, so there's no illusion as well for, for him because, you know, most guys will go into a relationship and they'll go, okay, you know, let's see how this goes rather than than actually seeing a little bit further in front and going, hey, hold on a second. You do realize that once penetration starts, emotional cording starts, you've tied her in, you've locked her in. Yes. And and this is where that huge responsibility comes in for men. And and I think most of most of us are oblivious to this. This is I why was I... oblivious to this for many years. This is why honestly, like I love what you said there because it's what I teach. <laughs> um I, when I met Joe you know, uh, uh, honestly, it made it that bit easier that I thought I was never going to see him again because we were at a festival. Um, but I was so bold. I was like, this is who I am. This is where I'm at in my life. And like, I'm, I basically got to the point where I was like, I'm not interested in having another one, two year relationship. Like I'm ready to meet my person and either we're compatible or not. And obviously there's always going to be a degree of not gambling, but like you can never ever know for sure, but you can put yourself in the best position. And like you said, you know, and I say to women, you cannot get pissed off at the man for lying or, you know, for cheating. That's the thing we hate so much, but you, you are also not taking responsibility for your part in not being clear and not saying what you want, you know, and what you desire. So, you know, it has to work both ways. Like, if you don't, you, you teach people how to treat you. And I say with men, more than more important than ever, you need to say it from the get-go. And my God, like if he's the right guy, he will step up. Joe was just, Joe just like stepped up in a way that like he was not expecting to at all, but it was just like, shit, this is, this woman won't take shit from me. I can't get away with the ghosting shit. And I'm really into her. So when she lays down her standards, I wasn't like, you better do this, you better, because I, I was just like, this is where I am. This is what I desire. Either it's a fit or it's not. So there was no pressure from me on him, but it made him I want remember, it. I remember I, I met a girl who, who we're still friends to this day. And it was an event. And I went up to her, started chatting to her. And she looked at me and she said to me, what is it that you want? What is it that you want from me? And I was quite surprised at the question. And I said to her, well, physically appealing you seem like you've got enough fire you seem quite interesting i i would love to get to know you more and she said well the only way that you're going to want the only way that you're going to get to know me better is if you're prepared to get married to me and have kids and i kind of looked at this and i said okay all right hold on a second so 
that is the only possibility that I have to overcome to actually get to know you better. And I said, all right, fine. I will treat this, that I will work towards this as though we are going to get married, as though we are going to be a solid couple for the rest of our lives. And what was interesting, it was, it was a choice I made in myself in terms of commitment, in terms of actually really immersing myself in that relationship. Um, and that was quite an interesting fresh, a breath of fresh air for me because she, she challenged my, my perspective on how I should be approaching her and the relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some, something I've written about quite often is, is, is this idea that men are porous. We are so influenced by the feminine. And that was it. It, it was, I was influenced and, and charged by something that she brought to the table. I was prepared to actually, you know, rise to the challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, it reached a point where, you know, it, it just wasn't going to work because we were both at least level-headed and understood that. Um, but it was more the intentionality. It was more, you know, let's take this serious from day one rather than actually going, you know what, this is just a fling. It's just about the sex. It's just casual. Mm. And and I, I thought that was that was very helpful, even in in my own personal journey to experience something mm. like that. That's, I love that. And you know what, we have been in a patriarchal culture for such a bloody long time, and I feel that when it comes to, like you you said, men are behind women in terms of of um, I mean, what word would you use? working on themselves, work, certainly working on their love lives. Um, would you say that? I would. I would say in terms of our, our evolution, we, we, are, we are greatly behind. I, I think it's, it's still a small population of the majority of men that, that are unevolved. We still use the same bullshit. I mean, look, you, I, I guarantee you that every single one of, one of your client, your lady clients going on a dating website will experience at least, let, let, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, 50% of men who are still using the same bullshit pickup lines, um, pickup tactics, ghosting, um, presenting something that they're not, inauthenticity, all these different things. And, and it's, it's very much there. But, you know, this is the thing that I think also women should really recognize is that the feminine is so powerful. Yes. And it is, it is uh, uh, I don't want this to sound vulgar, but let, let, me, let me explain it a different way. Have you ever heard of the, um, um, the um, what is it? It's um, uh, the Lysistrata? It's basically a, a, a play about, um, I think it was the Mesopotamian War where, where the men were fighting all the time. And this one woman basically stood up and said, what we're going to do is stop giving men sex. And the war stopped. Wow. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing it enough justice by explaining the ins and outs of that, but that's the thing that sticks in my mind is, is that your yoni has got the most power that you don't actually realize. And, and you can influence men and you can help men change that it doesn't have to be about this, this whole feminist hard movement about squashing men. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, you can, you can really assist them in adjusting themselves to become something entirely different and, and, and very evolved. But, and, and men become inspired by that. I mean, certainly, of course, it's not always a fit, but that's what I've seen is when I'm in my power, not performative, because I knew how to do that. I was an actress. I knew how to, okay, play hard to get. Um, my friend Flowery says, don't play hard to get, be hard to get. 
And I really, you know, and what that means is respect yourself, know your worth, don't take any shit, set out your expectations of boundaries from the beginning. But I really see that it's going to be the women. I don't want to say teaching the men because I don't think that's particularly sexy, inspiring the men. And how do you inspire the men to, to step up? Like Joe, let's put it this way. Joe, when he, we met and two weeks later, he was, he went to Bali for six weeks with, with his guy friends um, that had been planned for ages. And he, because he knew I was into meditation, all this stuff, like he was sending pictures. Oh yeah. I went to the yoga barn and I did this and I did this. And, you know, he wouldn't have done that before. He's always been a hippie, but he wasn't actually going to go and show up for that sort of stuff. And, you know, he went sober for the second half of the trip and you know, he was doing yoga, he, all of that sort of thing. And it, he was, I knew he was trying to impress me, but I was like, now that for me, that that actually impresses me because you're taking an interest in what's important to me. And he wasn't just doing it. Like he was, he, he genuinely cared and he was genuinely interested. And, and I think that that's it. Like I, when a man is into you, he will step up and he will show up. But until you get to the place in yourself where you just know your worth and and you don't you don't need to manipulate, you don't need to maneuver, you don't need to force it, you just know this is me, this is what I have, this is what I desire, then the right guy, like the guys who aren't available for that, they will just disappear. And the guys who are will step forward. I think I think this there's also something that often comes up and it's it's this idea of um women being incredibly successful squashing their success down and 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 this is something that i find very interesting because does this say something about them um and they don't know how to inspire men because it's if i look at someone if i look at a woman and 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 see the successes that she's she's you know constantly putting herself in and, and achieving that's something is in, it's incredibly inspiring. I see the feminine at work there, and and that's and that's that that sort of energy that I can use for myself and go. I love my partner doing that so much that inspires me that I can take that energy and apply it to something else. Mm-hmm. That's that's really if you're thinking about sex transmutation, that's something that you can steer and become hyper successful yourself. Um, I just don't think women should squash themselves down. It's yeah. It's. You're selling yourself short. Yeah. And a lot of the time I've had women, I've coached some crazily successful women. And um, and a lot of them will say the same thing. Men are intimidated by me. And, and actually, I think that that is a story that one can tell themselves because for so many different reasons because it gives you a reason and it's it's a reason that's almost can make you feel quite not smug but you know what I mean they're intimidated by me and actually I think that that is says more about like well you're you're connected to the masculine idea of success there um and that might be the case sometimes but it's not always the case um I think women you know, uh, women having autonomy and freedom and power to make our own money and control our lives and own property. And all, it's so new, you know, it, we have not had long to get used to it. Whereas men have had thousands of years to get used to patriarchy and to, to them being in charge. So I think that we are really in a place, women of like, how to balance the masculine and feminine energies within ourselves before we can ever hope to do it in the 
romantic relationship. And that, and that really is one, again, coming back to the work addiction thing, because that's so for me about the masculine energy, doing, 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 success, you know, go, go, go. And I'm like, my power is in actually the stillness and the space. And that seems so counterintuitive in the same way that I think, you know, some of the best dates I've ever been on is not, it's not all the, the conversation, conversation, it's in the silences. Like, can, can you be enough in your power that, you know, bringing it back to seduction, that you don't need to fill every space? Something that I've always found hard as someone who's got a big, you know, speaks a lot, very fast. But when I'm in the right dynamic, I know when to shut the fuck up. And I think that, you know, whether that's in a specific date or just in an exchange, you know, so many times us women, we like the, the man seems to have disappeared. So we, we then will bombard with texts. I actually had a client who called her ex-boyfriend when she was drunk 187 times. I mean, it's crazy. But this can happen, you know, women like really just doing all of the com uh, communication. What are your thoughts? Bring it back to seduction. What do you slash men find? Like what is powerful when it comes to a woman being seductive and what is not? I think when a woman is completely in a feminine... Okay, let, let me backtrack a little bit here. Um, if men don't convince themselves that the, the emotional potential torrents that a woman shows is attractive, they will always see it as repulsive. And you cannot, as a man, expect a woman to be devoid of emotion. Mm. It just doesn't make sense. A, a woman, femininity is emotion. And this is one of the, the, I think, the most difficult things that men find, they find it very hard to navigate this. Because, I mean, look, even if I see my partner losing her shit, there's still that part of me deep down inside that goes, oh my God, I just want to get the hell out of you. Whereas the other side of me, the conscious side says to me, no, be present, do not move. Because if you are immovable in the situation, it is going to diffuse. And then there's going to be that moment where you can communicate. And then there's going to be that moment where it becomes intimate again and soft. And that's where you can steer it somewhere else. So so the man is always, in my opinion, the the the, the one that holds that emotion. Mm. Not control, not contain, not put a lid on or anything like that. It's just being present with something like that. And I think it's it's also for women, this is advice to them, being mindful of when to stop that. Yeah. Because this is something when I think when you're in that roller coaster and it's going that emotion gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And if a man doesn't know how to sort of contain that, uh, it's very off-putting, I think, for, for a better phrase. It's, it's, the same, it's the same way in reverse when you see a very needy man. Needy men are repulsive. Mm. Because yeah. it's, not, it's, not, it's not so much the neediness that's repulsive, but it's more how it positions the woman to become and adapt herself. They have to so go into the a hundred percent. It steers her completely into the masculine, which is which is not her her default position again. Mm. So I think it's 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 also learning to to be a little bit sensitive to the the flow of how two people dance. And this is look. Whenever I do therapy with couples, the first thing I usually suggest to them is please go to dancing lessons. Mm. 
literally, because it's not so much about the talk or the cognitive or the thinking or anything like that. It's just purely being in your body. And you have to learn that the masculine in the situation leads the feminine. There has to be the surrender. Um, and then the nice thing about dance is that it can also change where, you know, it's, if you're looking at flamenco, the, the woman is very much the dominant in there and it's the glorification of the, the feminine. Um, th there's so much that we can learn from all these little, little things that we can put ourselves in. But it's also a question if you, if you want to learn, if you are curious about your partner and wanting to actually understand these sides. Mm. Oh my goodness. Like there's just, there's so much more that I could talk to you about because I'm, I'm really interested in, in talking about couples. And I think we, we will definitely, um, get you back on and focus specifically on that for, for all the women who I've worked with who are now in relationships. So they're at, you know, new level, new devil, new things to focus on, new things to learn. How do you keep that level of attraction? All of those things. But I've just seen that somehow we've come to, gosh, just under an hour. Well, just about to be an hour. So we, um, we're going to have to start wrapping up. But I would love to know, well, I know everyone listening would love to know where they can find you. I know you've got lots of great resources online. I mean, the simplest for me is just uh, my website, maximo.love, uh, and my Instagram. I write a lot, so uh, I hope a lot of it resonates. I had very good news today that my writing made a couple have a better sexual relationship because they'd been literally celibate for the last year and a half. Um, wow. Yeah, so if, if that's what they got from the writing, uh, I'm, I'm very, very happy. I'm going to go and read that. Absolutely. We will definitely link, uh, link those, uh, put those links in the show notes. So finally, Massimo, I would love you to speak for a moment uh, just directly to the woman listening who is single. She's had a, um, you know, she's been doing the work on herself or she's, you know, just started to do, to get onto this journey. And she is really desiring of that, you know, committed relationship, like, you know, for the, the, the forever partner, as it were. But it just doesn't seem to be happening. And she, she struggles to attract a man. Um, what would you say to her? First and foremost, I would say that don't rush it. Even though it feels like there's an, an urgency in you to find that, you have time. And if there is that urgency, I think that's always a reflection on yourself that you haven't fully surrendered to who you are. And the moment you fully surrender to who you are and you accept your self-image, your sexual self-image, and try and sort of do a lot of body work, especially, I mean, the, the liberation that women experience through masturbation, and this is also something I talk to guys about, once again, it's just going to be the cherry on the top. Um, and mm. look inwards. Mm, literally and metaphorically <laughs> that's a fantastic place to end on this topic with uh this fabulous interview with um massimo the sexologist i'd never by the way I'd never heard of that word before i love it it makes me think of cocktails which is a good thing <laughs> like a mixologist hopefully they name a, a cocktail after me one day <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. This has been amazing. And I know that our listeners are going to get so much from it. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you for everyone who is tuned in. We'll speak to you very soon. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. I really do hope these episodes help you find dates that become mates and flings that become things with men who are ready, willing and able to actually commit. 
Please be sure to like, share, subscribe, and leave me a review if you're getting value from these episodes. This helps the podcast rank higher so it can reach other people who want or need the support. To have your question answered, send it over to podcast at persialawson.com and we'll get to it ASAP. And if you want to learn how to court consciously during COVID and call in the healthy, happy relationship you desire and deserve, don't forget to download my free audio training called The Fastest Way to Meet Your Soulmate over at getyoursoulmate.com forward slash free training. The link is also in the show notes for this podcast episode. See you next week, gorgeous. I release a new episode every Tuesday. But until then, remember, love is coming for you. So surrender to the festival that is life on planet Earth and trust that what misses you was not meant for you and what's meant for you will not miss you, including your soulmate.